Hello, my name is Declan Deneen. Welcome to Checkpoints. This is a show about video games, the people who play them and the people who make them. Each episode, a guest on the show talks about the games that have shaped their life in one way or another, games that have inspired them, games that have forged connections, and games that have soothed wounds. I'm very excited to welcome to the show today, Rod's Humble. Uh, Rod's CV is is insane. Um, he's, he's a game designer. He worked on a bunch of games back in the 80s and 90s that, uh, to my, my own discredit, I didn't realize, which uh, come up in the show. Um, he, he's a, one of the first kind of proponents of the kind of art game scene, so to speak, even if that is a bit of a problematic term. And he made uh, amazing games like like uh, like Marriage, for instance. And he's currently, the, in fact, the, the game artist in residence at the San Francisco MoMA. Um, he also, like, he ran the Sims team for a couple of years. Like, he was in charge of this billion-dollar, you know, company. Um, and he was the CEO of Linden Labs, who created Second Life. Um, and there he does, like mobile games he's got his own studio it's, it's it's incredible like a really rich history to draw from uh so you'd expect a really good episode then uh and it totally is <laughs> I, I don't know why i went for that weird double fake it's a brilliant episode rod is a a fascinating amazing and really kind of engaging character i thoroughly enjoyed this episode um thanks as always for listening to the show uh, if you enjoy the show, please do tell a friend. Uh, if you don't have friends, rate and review on iTunes. Even if you do have friends, please do rate and review on iTunes. Nobody does. I feel like such a, a, a an idiot. Maybe maybe I should just take the hint. Maybe I should just stop mentioning it. Uh, but it genuinely does help. Um, if you uh, really like the show, you can um, uh, pay some money. There's a Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash checkpoints. Uh, all, all donations are very gratefully received. And, and genuinely do go back into making the show as good as it possibly can be. Um, as always, if you'd like to get in ch- touch, you can email the show. It's checkpointspodcast at gmail.com or it's at Checkpoint Show on Twitter or it's Checkpoints Podcast on Facebook. It's very important to have consistent branding. Um, I always encourage people to dig into the, the back catalogue if this happens to be your, your first episode. Um I'm even trying to theme it a little bit. So, for instance, me and Rod talk a lot about kind of uh, art games again, which always feels weird to say, but, you know, I mean, I I should probably kind of uh, articulate what I mean. I guess, like, art game is just like a bad name for them because that conjures the question of art games art, which has become a kind of jokey cliche at this point. I mean, of of course, it's any kind of expression is, is art. But art game specifically, I think, refers to a kind of a type of game that above all else is trying to use specifically game mechanics like things that can only exist in games to to evoke a, a type of emotion in a in a player that you know that that games wouldn't normally be associated with trying to sort of push at the limits of what a game is able to achieve like purely through mechanics um i just think like, it's just it's just bad bad grammar i suppose bad uh, nomenclature um but anyway so if you if you are into that kind of arena though um, do check out uh, in the back, back catalogue uh, episodes with uh, Jason Rohrer and Zach Gage. Uh, Mel Croucher would be another good one. Um, I think, you know, just just as, as an example, just to dip, dip your toe back if this happens to be your, your first episode. Okay, I will be back next week, as always, with a new episode and a new guest. But until then, let's get on with the show.
thrilled I was able to facilitate that. That sounds like a good use of a of a national holiday. Is just sort of revel yeah. and dig deep into the past for a, for a couple of hours. Yeah, um, it's pretty great. Well, um, let's do a, a formal introduction then for the for the sake of of ceremony. So, Rod, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for for coming on. And if you don't mind, would you introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, uh, my name is Rod Humble. I'm a, a game maker. Um, I've been making games since nineteen. 19- Oh, good Lord. Uh, 1989. Um, and I've done all things from uh, being a programmer to designer to producer to running studios and uh, CEOs and being a CEO as well. So, yeah, that's pretty much me. I, that, that, that's you. You have rattled through that. There, there are all kinds of incredible um, things you've done that I'm sure we'll get to uh as we go through the show. So what are you doing now? You're like the artist in residence at the San Francisco moment. Is that right? Or the game uh, yes, artist I, in residence? Yes. That, yeah. For last year, I was, um, um, artist in residence at the SF MoMA, um, and, uh, making, um, uh, I, I've had an interest in, uh, art games yeah. uh, for a few decades. And so I, I made an art game, uh, there last year and that was great. It was kind of a, a life ambition. Cause I've always, I've, I've loved games. It's what I've done my whole life. And I've always felt it was uh, my art form. And yeah. I think lots of people think maybe movies are their art form or you know, novels whatever, or music. But yeah, games have always been mine. And I, I've always wanted and just had this feeling that it, it should be regarded as high art or can be high art, right? Yeah. Obviously, it can be entertainment. So uh, you know, getting my stuff exhibited in the SF MoMA was, um, it's kind of a dream come true. Actually. I was like, Oh, okay, well we, we can check that box off. Like, you know, <laughs> nobody can say, um, you know, you, you, games are not art when your stuff's exhibited. literally in a museum. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It's like, there you go. That's, that's the stamp. And is that like, um, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming it must have been considering San Francisco is such a, a technology driven town, but like, had there been kind of game artist in residence and game exhibitions? I mean, I, I've certainly seen a few. I, I went to one in London in like 2002 or something, yeah. which was the first one I remembered, which is the big kind of game on exhibition. Um, but I'd never seen, I'd never heard of a, a game artist in residence, I suppose. I believe um, uh, last year was the first year that they did it um, at the SF MoMA. I know that they've had other um, uh, artists in residence who were uh, game makers. Well, I believe at other places as well around around the world. I think that, um, yeah, I think so. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. But it's the first time the SF MoMA did it for sure. And what um, did you, what was, what was your exhibition made of? Did you make something specifically for it or was it a collection of your older games that you've made uh no I'm, i made something specifically for it i made um it's uh, you can go download it actually it's called um it's on itch it's i'll send you the link it's called um Fayum, and it was a uh uh it was they took me on a tour because the sf moment was being rebuilt like so they remodeled it and rebuilt it and um they brought um, us in. There are actually three uh, game designers they selected, and uh, one from computer games, one from uh, like live-action uh, role-playing games. Uh, that was Rebecca, and then one who does um, hardware. And I don't think she uh, finished her project because the hardware one obviously is is the hardest. And uh, 
And so I, I got to go on a tour of the SF Mobile while it was under construction. And I'd been thinking about, you know, what should I build? You know, what, what do I want to make? And I just took the subject of the SF MoMA itself under construction as um, uh, the inspiration. And so the game, and this is long-winded. You can edit it out if you want. No, but, no, no, it's interesting. The, uh, the, the game, is, so Fayum is, it's an old art form, which is a, uh, um, it was a painting usually done on wood that you, a portrait of a dead person and you put it on the corpse. So it's it's this portrait of the dead that is laid, a portrait of the face that is laid on the dead person, like a like a death mask, a, like a death mask, except it's it's uh, flat and on wood, and they're they're quite beautiful. Like if, if you if you um, if you look up Fayum, it's F A Y U M. You can see a whole bunch of examples, uh, and I, I believe it was originated in uh, uh, Egypt, and I think it was a long tradition amongst uh, Egyptian Christians in particular. Of, of having it. And so I love this idea of um, uh, this artwork that is about the thing that is dead, that is laid on top of it. So the, my, my, my work was a game about art and the world of uh, creativity um, that was about the SF MoMA or the old SF MoMA that was then going to be shown in the new SF MoMA um, celebrating uh, the death of the old one. So that was the idea. I like that. And it was this notion that, that you go into if you if you play it, it's a procedurally generated universe. Um, it's it's actually bigger than No Man's Sky because you can go on forever, which is kind of cute. I was kind of enjoyed that. Um, and you <laughs> uh, you just go to each you enter each little world, which is meant to be the world of an artist, uh, and in it there is a semi procedurally generated um, experience where you get to interact with things and how the art um, uh, interacts with you. So sometimes the art can repel you. Uh, sometimes um, uh, you can take something with you, like you know, a memory or something, and that little node will then follow you and uh, you can carry it with you for the rest of your journey or it'll fade like a memory. And it was just my experience of going to an art gallery because you know sometimes I go into a room and a, a piece of art just you know, repels me and I just, I, I want to leave immediately and I don't like it. And other times, um, you know, a piece of art will just speak to me across the room and I'll just see a painting and I'm just drawn to it. And the memory of it just, you know, sticks with me, um, forever. And I carry it with me. And so it was this idea of an infinite, um, art museum that you could go to. And it's all very abstract in my art gamey way. And so it's, you know, different colored circles, and squares and all of the mechanics are um, interact in various different ways that you can play with. Um, and the color is—I uh, got a lot. I use a lot of color um, symbolism in all of my artwork, um, and so the colors are pretty important as well. But, that, that I'm I'm gonna definitely gonna check that. Out. Do you think it? Do you think the 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 thing that the game in the space is? as important do you think you get the full effect essentially is what i'm saying if i if i play this at home um I, you won't <laughs> no it's so it's it's um i'm not gonna so bother at all shown, no, no, I, will, <laughs> I would i would i would play it it plays great on the monitor like it, it, it really does but you know to be honest they they really spoiled me and they gave me um it's called the white box and it is a two-story room in the SF moment, it's kind of the biggest exhibit space they have, and it was dedicated entirely to this game for a day. 
And so um, I, I don't know how, how huge it is, but then they have these super high-resolution um, projectors um, on each wall. And so there, we had two versions of it playing, and people could come and play it. Um, but most of the visitors would just sit and watch this um, uh, hopefully beautiful uh, interactive art and audio um, I also um, made the audio like on on the walls, and you could just sit and watch it. And um, it, it was really amazing. There's some pictures up there, but the the scale of it really makes a difference. And I designed it specifically for that scale because I wanted this thing to play at size and people to be like, "Holy crap! Like, there's this massive game playing on here." That's so um, but interesting. It does, it does, yeah, it does play great on a, on a regular screen. But yeah, in answer to the question, do you get the full experience? No, because uh, I wish I didn't was... know about the giant version of it. No, but yeah, it's, it's, really, it's really cool. It's really interesting you saying that because as, as you were talking about um, going to uh, museums and like being repelled or, or being drawn into specific paintings, like I was thinking in my head, like very rarely. I don't know if this is just. I mean, I'm assuming it must be some sort of internal wiring, but uh, visiting museums stuff, I very rarely have any kind of emotional response to anything really uh, and yeah. the, the few occasions that like i can appreciate things like intellectually and stuff particularly if i know a bit about the paintings and things and the ideas but rarely am i kind of moved let's say and the the, the rare occasions that i am it's almost entirely due to scale like yeah. just giant things or tiny things that there's something about that that i find that that kind of hits me at a more visceral level than than any kind of drawing not, not, not that a drawing i'm not yeah. to trivialize it but you know what i mean like yeah no i do actually I, and i do think scale is very is is incredibly important and it goes both ways right like so so the um what is it the um is it i'm going to embarrass myself here i should know this but i, I think it's is it uh monet's you know water lilies like you know you see that in a book monet or manet whichever one it is the, the the big the famous water lilies that he he kept drawing you see it in a book and you're like okay well it looks pretty of a water lily and then you see it actually in person and this thing's massive and you're like wow like now i get <laughs> like what all the fuss is about and on the inverse scale there's a um there's a beautiful constable that we've got here in um san francisco it's at a, a different art gallery i think it's the um it's one the one on the hill but you uh you 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 see it from a distance there's this tiny uh little painting you get closer and closer and it's a beautiful little um snapshot of the english countryside and it's tiny and then you see this perfectly drawn um cow uh right like in the in the center of, of the field and you're like oh my goodness like how did he get all of that detail in the cow and then you get closer and closer to the cow and it really does look perfect and when you get close, you see it's a single brushstroke. And that is just, it absolutely blows my mind. Like you, you, the, I think it's difficult to appreciate Constable until you've seen that up close. And you're like, oh my goodness, like he managed to capture what looks like a photorealistic cow with a single calligraphy style brushstroke. It's absolutely amazing. So I think the scale works both ways. That's, that's amazing. I need to try and check that out if i'm ever in san francisco again um well i've got so much to ask you uh, rod and uh, i think the most appropriate place though is to start back at the beginning as is tradition of the show so if you can remember rod what was your your very first experience of a video game 
Um, I believe it was uh, Atom Invaders on the uh, Acorn Atom. I believe it could have been something on a ZX80 before, but I but the Atom Invaders sticks out because I thought it was it just blew me away because it looked better than things I'd seen at the arcade. You know, I'm just talking about home computer games. Yeah. Now. And, and, and whereabouts, like, whereabouts is this? So you're clearly British, so somewhere in, yes. in the UK, I'm guessing. Uh, yeah, in a, uh, a, a, a small village called um, Blakedown, which is just south of Birmingham. Okay. It's in between, it's near Hagley, it's between Birmingham and Worcester, I guess, is near Kidderminster. Uh, but yeah, that, that's where I uh, grew up. So where would the arcades have come in? Would that have been like seaside holidays and things? That, that was the main reason yeah. I was asking that, yeah. Yeah, no, the arcades actually, there was uh, one down in, uh, there's a little town called Stourbridge, which is sort of, you know, in in typical English fashion, like the uh, the poor man's holiday resort. Like if you couldn't go to the seaside, like you go to Stourbridge because there's a river there. Okay. And there, was a, <laughs> there was a little arcade with dodger cars and that sort of stuff. And uh, some of the arcades, the arcade machines there were just, yeah, amazing. So yeah, you have missile command, but you remember that Star Wars one with the dual sticks where you go into the trench? Oh yeah, unbelievable! Uh, the, uh, the vector graphics one. Yeah, so good. And then a battle zone and all of that stuff. And they they like just captured my imagination. And then you know this Acorn Atom came out, and I'm looking at it and I couldn't believe how high definition these things were, and I couldn't afford one. Like my um, yeah, my family lived in council house. And uh, I was like, oh, I wish I could afford one. I think we got a ZX80 a few months before, and I'd programmed on it. And then my friend ordered an Acorn Atom, and he got two by mistake. And so he sold me one. He wasn't going to give me one, but he sold me one for like half price <laughs> or like 20 quid or something. What a clerical uh, error, because I imagine that's a fair chunk of change. Like, Yeah, it was, a, it was a big deal back in the day. And um, yeah, bless his lack of honesty, because um, <laughs> I definitely benefited. So I had this Acorn Atom, and uh, I, you know, I got Atom Invaders, and I was just like, Oh my goodness, like you can do anything with look at the resolution, it's stunning. If you look at even today, you look at the screenshots of the Acorn Atom, um, like sales promos, it looks incredibly detailed. Why was it so much uh, better than the other kind of home computers around that time? uh, I think the resolution, the fact that it had a real keyboard, um, the programming language we had it, you had, you came on, it was semi machine code, um, so you could do quite a lot with it. and uh, it was a really well-made machine, um, a really well-made machine. And I'm just like, you, you don't have to say, obviously, if you don't want to, but I'm curious as to like how old you were when this, uh, when you first sort of would have seen an arcade, I guess, because like it's really on the cusp of, you know, you know, I think if I speak to, to, to younger people, people younger than me, there's always been video games you know whereas there was a very specific point where it was like like the monolith in 2001 like here are video games so i'm just wondering what sort of age you were that that would have captured your attention oh um i think about 11 that's a good age for it yeah very much so like 11 was um i look back and it was a very yeah a very big year for me because it just i was always a gamer i'd always been like writing little uh board game rules but 11 was the time when I, you know, you could really enter the world of, um, of, you know, gamer culture. And at that time, gamer culture was primarily around, um, war games clubs in England. And I was a big war gamer. So miniature war games clubs, and you'd go and, you know, paint your minis. And, uh, usually 
if you didn't use um, commercial rules, you'd, you'd write your own, which I think that theme of do it yourself and make your own culture has stood British gaming in very good stead over the years. And I, I think it kind of started with the miniature war games um, movement, which was, it was always like, well, okay, you're playing like WRG or something like that, but what, you know, what are you modifying it or are you running your own homebrew rules, that sort of thing? And when you say miniature uh, war games, do you mean like... Uh, uh, toy, toy soldiers, right. So more like kind of risk style things, not not Dungeons and Dragons, none of that stuff. None of the sort of fantasy no, side of I it. Did, yeah, I did play D&D and RPGs a lot as well. And um, But uh, yeah, I definitely started with uh, miniature war games. And that it, it's, a, it's a very long and big deal um, uh, in England. In fact, I, to, this, from, to this day, I'd say that... Um, uh, you know, the UK and Ireland are still kind of the world leaders when it comes to miniature war games rules. And you know, Games Workshop is the number one company in the world. And, um, but it all started um, back then when there was this just this movement. So, so people were super interested in that. So with with that in mind, you know, you you're talking about this DIY element, um, and and you you've already mentioned the kind of the the types of machine code you could use. So I'm I'm imagining very quickly you you started to pull apart games and make your own and figure out how they worked. I did. I, I made my own uh, very early on, and with, with the Acorn Adam, and uh, I I think I I finished my first game when I got that Acorn Atom, and I recall so back then you the way you got games was you bought a magazine and you typed in the program that came in the magazine like <laughs> they were just these they listed the entire program of like hey you want to play a racing game we've got a racing game in this month's issue and you type in like all thousand lines or whatever it was and then you play the game and so you can't help but learn it right yeah. as you as you're programming it in you and, get such uh, a treat at the end of it as well yeah, it's it's wonderful, and then you get to debug it, and you're you know finally like, oh my god, like what did I mistype? And so it's it's in your interest to actually figure out what all of these weird symbols and words mean, because when it comes to debugging, if you don't know that, then you're basically just looking for spell error, spelling checking errors in the magazine, which sometimes could be wrong. The magazine could sometimes be wrong, so you'd probably better know the right answer. I wonder so, if they yeah, did that on purpose. You know, they, like there was I don't know if this is a, an urban myth or not, but there was always talk that. Like Meccano would always have one instruction slightly wrong in in the their instructions, so that the kids would have to figure out how to do it themselves. Basically, oh, interesting. I know. I, I never thought of that. Yeah, it could well. That be. might be apocryphal. I don't know. It definitely worked. Um, they should do so. that now. They should like instead of a pre-order bonus, you have to if, if you can code like a simple two D screen <laughs> or something, you get the first level, like an extra level in Destiny or something. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that would be awesome. I, by the way, I love the. Um, I think there's a new wave of uh, gamers who create that's you know happened now and this happened over the past ten years, which is awesome. But through Minecraft and all of these uh, different things, but yeah, different story. I think my kids have got have got that book right. Like they they tend to be drawn to games where you can make stuff. Um, so my son has gone from you know Minecraft to Gary's Mod to um, yeah anything where you can make stuff. Um, and I, I think that there's there's a hunger there in people. I, I, to be honest, I mean that's probably like a that's totally true, and I can see it's almost like that's kind of how it how it's always been in a way. But there was just this blip 
for about 20 years where it wasn't you know that's kind of how it yeah. started and that's how it's come back to it's just it's just the democratization of the the tools it's how the technology develops i suppose yeah um so so what did you do when you first started doing it like to you i imagine this is just fun and you get to to play a game at the end of it so how did your interest in games kind of grow uh, as you got older um i think i just wanted to um uh it was, i've always designed i've always designed games like i said from board games to miniature war games and to me the computer was just this obvious way where i could make my games on a different platform i mean it, it was just, it was so it was it was natural and um the, the first game i made was uh this little biplane have you ever seen the game sop with where you go like left and right in a little biplane you do loop the loops and it's like 2d on the side i, I, don't, I don't think so uh, but the, but i i well i played uh, i i made a game like that um when i was really young it's the first game i ever made actually it was the second game I ever made the first one i'll tell you about in a moment which was embarrassing but i made <laughs> i made it and um it was uh uh it was really good and i showed it to my mom and i was like hey i made this game and she was like oh that's great rod um you know which magazine did you get it out of and i, I was like well I, you know i didn't i made it and she was like oh rod it's okay you know like you know you, you don't have to make things up it's kind of great that you've managed to type all this in for a magazine and she never believed that i made it <laughs> until when I was 30 years old, and eventually I, uh, we, we were reminiscing about it, and she was like, oh, I remember that game that you remember you tried to tell me that you made it. I was like, I did make it. <laughs> you never believed me. And she was like, oh, okay, well, good job. <laughs> so, but yeah, the, the, uh, the, the first game I made was um, I have a, a younger brother, um, and he was an age where he was just starting to learn to read. And so I made him... Uh, and uh, yeah, there's a life lesson here, a, a programming lesson. Um, I made him a spelling game on the Acorn Adam to make to help him spell, and I was so proud of it. And I, I swear to you, I built this thing before I realized the fatal flaw in the design. And what it did is it had like a battery of words, like you know, dog, cat, all of these different things, and then it would say, "Spell dog," and then you would type underneath the word "dog." to see if you got it right the flaw obviously is that it's written dog (laughs) (laughs) but i actually programmed the whole damn thing and then i was looking at i'm like wait a minute (laughs) i made something very i made a big mistake here (laughs) nevertheless i'm sure that helped it did help in in some small way you know oh man that's amazing so like I assume from that story about your mum that your parents weren't necessarily interested in it. So did you kind of develop kind of little friendship groups uh, around video games or, or was it a very much a kind of a individual thing? Um, no, my uh, yeah, my two best friends growing up, uh, they both got into computer games at the same time. One, Bruce, the guy who gave me his uh, or sold me his, his Acorn Atom and my other friend Steve uh, around the corner. And so... Yeah, we were always palling around, you know, riding our bikes and whatever together. And then when computer games came along, um, at, and with Bruce, I'd played war games as well. Um, we just got into computer games together and, you know, pirated software together, um, as, as you do. And, yeah, no, uh, it's, it's informed the generation, pirated software. It, it did. And uh, we, for me, at least, there was this rental service um, in the UK where you could rent 
any games available and they would mail it to you and you kept it for a week and then you mailed it back. And you know, obviously you, during that week, you pirated it and then you sent it back. So that was kind of what we did. <laughs> and, and like, did you all have different computers though? Was, was, was there any kind of, um, kind of tribalism with the type of home computer that you had? Um, there was, there was, there was a broader group of, of the local war games club. And so we roughly fell into, um, I ended up getting them all. I was very lucky. My, 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 my parents actually were very supportive. And so my, my dad, uh, was a postman. My mom was an old, old people's warden. And, uh, they did save up like any money to buy me a computer. So I had a, a ZX80, ZX81, Acorn Adam, Sinclair Spectrum, uh, uh, but there were definitely tribes amongst my friends. So, the, you know, there were the Specky tribe, the Combo 64 tribe, uh, the Acorn Atom guys. Um, and then over time, that evolved to the Atari ST and um, Amiga Wars. Of like, you know, that was a, that was a fierce. It absolutely fierce, was. Yeah. Um, and uh, I loved them both. I, I had them both. <laughs> I, 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 that, that seems amazing that i think you're the first person that i've spoken to that had kind of all of the home computers around that point like and you say your parents were supporting you so it, yeah in and what were, in what kind so of aspect I, 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 though, sorry go ahead in, in what kind of aspect i'm thinking like had you kind of said like oh this is i could do this this could be a job this could be educational because like for, for a lot of kids you could say all those things but what you mean is i just want to play all the games um, yeah. So, like, yeah. what did you were, you were you just very convincing, or did you genuinely think, no, no, I can I can use this. I need these. Um, I think my I think my parents thought um, it was educational. It was, you know, full disclosure, games. It's the only thing I am capable of doing for a living. Like, I, I, if games didn't exist, I would be working in the lumber yard, which is the only other job I've ever had. Like, that's the, <laughs> that's my only. Uh, and I think that they looked at it and it was basically despair on their part. They were like, okay, <laughs> this kid, this kid really can't do anything else. Maybe if we buy him like these computers that he wants, maybe, uh, uh, something good will come of it. So. But, but were you genuinely thinking like a, a relatively young age, like, oh, I could do this. I could make games. Yes. This, this could be a job I could do. Yes, absolutely. And how, how were you, I, I suppose that why I find that surprising is like there wasn't, Maybe it was different then at the time. Maybe there was something in the magazines. But for, for a lot of people I've spoken to, and for me certainly, you know, you don't necessarily think of games as being made by people. It's such an alien concept, you know? So I'm surprised that yeah. you would get that so young. Yes. Uh, I, I think there was just a vibe at the time. And it, it was very much this, there's, there's this new frontier opening up and it really is an opportunity. And you know, at, the, at, at the time... Um, you know, this was England in the in the seventies and eighties. Yeah, it was pretty grim. <laughs> you know, the I, I remember unemployment was some crazy high number, and so you know, when you're at school, you you're looking at what am I going to do with my life, and um, the opportunities were pretty thin on the ground. And um, I think that my probably the catalyst was I had a government and politics. Uh, teacher who uh and i was a lousy student but he he there was once a bit of career advice he gave he gave me uh which was um you know hey rod like you know, i i think you're an intelligent guy which he was one of the first people to ever say he didn't think i was an idiot um he was like i i for you i would recommend two career paths 
Um, one is computers, because I think computers are going to be an upcoming thing, and I, I think you're into them. Uh, and the other is crime, because most most people, most criminals are stupid, and you're not stupid. It was like, but I advise computers. So there you go. I think that was kind of, that was kind of it. Unless you're playing a really long con here, Rod. And there's the long, some the long game, right. the long game. Yeah, there, there's something brewing after all this time. All these pieces <laughs> suddenly fit together. Oh dear. But yeah, I did. I did. I did want to make games. Um, so, so did you kind of self-publish? Because I mean, I think the industry was small enough there that you know, the bedroom coders thing wasn't a, a myth. You know, that that was very much the backbone of the industry for a long time. Yeah, it was. It was a real thing. No, I never did. Um, what I did was I wrote um, a series of very long and detailed um, role-playing games, which I've, I've still got. I hand-wrote them, uh, like big science fiction role-playing games, like 200-odd pages. And one day I saw an uh, advert. I think it was in computer and video games or maybe an earlier one. But in some magazine – and it was advertising for a game designer for this uh, company called um, Imagitech in Yorkshire. And uh, I read it, and it seemed to imply you didn't need to program, and you didn't need to know how to make art. You just needed to know how games were designed. And I was like, well, I, I know how to do that. So I uh, sent in my application, lied on my resume, as you do, and said, well, you know, I've published these RPGs, and I'm ready to make the transition to uh, computer games. And so I drove up there, and um, Martin Hooley, who uh, ran the company, a great guy, um, the interview literally consisted of him. He uh, sat me down, and he was like, all right, Rod, well, you know, I see, I see your games. Because I, I, I really did have all of you know, this work that I could, I could show him. It was like, do you want the job? I was like, yeah. He was like, okay, you got the job. You, know, you can stop. <laughs> so that was it. That was, that was my big break. And, um, yeah, they, I just – showed up they uh how old are you at this point i was 20 i don't know 21 22 something like that maybe that's crazy that's crazy yeah and uh yeah just just gave me a break and put me as a lead designer on a new game it was like oh we, we need a we need a game for atari they want something to do with cavemen um, so I just went and designed this game called um, The Humans, which was kind of like Lemmings, but not. Um, I remember and, uh, The Humans. I didn't realize you had made that. Yeah, yeah it was my first design. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah, and uh, my first commercial design. And uh, it did really well. So, yeah, it was literally he just said, do you want to design something like this? I was like, sure. And he was like, oh, great. And he looked at it, took it up to Atari, and they said, hey, this is good, and paid him like, 200 grand or whatever it was to build it and so we built it and published it and uh it did really well that all seems so simple rod that all seems so simple <laughs> does. i don't know how you're very very fortunate very fortunate. no if that's how it happened that's how it happened then clearly there was there was skill involved yeah and, and blind luck yeah but a, a lot a lot of luck and fun. so like as a as a young kid like just now suddenly you're you're a video game designer like were you but because the, the medium kind of started moving faster and then just getting faster and faster like did you ever lose your appetite for for playing games like once you started working on them no never I, i've always loved that I, I i i'm genuine and I, I i respect the fact that there are fellow uh, colleagues who don't like playing games because they do it all day um i just that's completely alien to me like the more I make games, the more I play games. I'm a completely broken human being. 
<laughs> it's all I want to do. So, like, around about this period then, I guess, like, when you're, you're sort of first starting out, like, were there were there games that you, you played that kind of had an impact on you and, and like, changed how you thought about games in certain ways? Because clearly you're someone who thinks about games an awful lot. So where did you start kind of seeing, I guess, the, the potential for games growing or, like, little yep. sort of divergences in how you think about them? Uh, I think there are there are quite a few that stand out. So one is, you know, I, I think that obviously Elite uh, had a profound impact on just about everybody who played it at the time because it was it was almost like a 21st century game had been dumped in the 1980s. Like it was that far ahead of its time. Like it, it's a procedurally generated real world set of galaxies that just is huge like absolutely mind-bogglingly huge and it was in this you know 3d world and you had all these physics and you could trade and that just opened my eyes to oh my goodness like procedurally generated universes like are a thing like literally i'm playing it right here um so i think that one was kind of amazing and then um a little later there was a game called um alternate reality on the atari 400 and 800 and that was one that was you the the fiction was you were plucked from earth and taken to this medieval world by aliens and just dumped with other people from earth and what it what it did was it was brutally hard it was tough as nails but you had to um get food and water in this city of um basically you know immigrants who'd just been dumped to try and make a life for themselves you get a you got a job so you could go you know work at a bar or work at you know some temple or other um and uh, it also had amazing music uh i think it was philip price who did it and you, the the music when you go into a pub each pub has it had its own unique music complete with lyrics which went with the music and it was all about this sadness of being abducted and coming to this world and it was amazing. It felt like, oh my goodness, like you, now I can be taken to a literally an alternate reality, which was the name of the game. That sounds amazing. Uh, like, it was so ahead of its time, like absolutely so ahead of its time. Um, well worth playing even today on an emulator or something. I, I highly recommend it. Um, so that that was another one, and um, I, I think the 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 other game that impacted me, and it was a long. This was a long impact, but it, it absolutely was the catalyst for my interest in art games, which was um, uh, Tetris. And I'll, I'll, I'll say why, which is when you look at Tetris, I think most people think of it as this you know puzzle game that's incredibly successful. It's an iconic design. It's a beautiful design. Yeah. But when I saw it, all I could think is this is um, this feels like modern life to me, like, you know, one thing after another, like, you know, OK. God, there's something else that's coming into my life. I've got to put it into this pattern. Like I got to fit it somehow in my life and then we'll keep going. And if you, if you buy into that, uh, then you can see that, um, game mechanics themselves can express a message. And that is what inspired me to get into art games. Cause I'm like, Hey, that can be a thing. Like you can actually tell a story through game mechanics. And I'm not suggesting that Tetris did that deliberately. In fact, it, it absolutely didn't but to me that's what i saw is oh my goodness like what if you reverse the stream here and instead of looking at a game and projecting 
oh, those game mechanics mean something to me. What if you actually design the mechanics from the ground up to actually have a meaning? So all of my art game is you, you, you actually should look at the interactions that are going on and look for the story there. And yeah, that's most um, obvious in an art game I did called The Marriage, which is just the interaction between the man and the wife should tell you a story about my marriage and my feelings about it at the time. That was my hope, as I tried to do it all through game mechanics. So those are the three, Elite, Alternate Reality, and Tetris, that really just blew me away and altered my, the way I looked at games. That's, that's such a fast, fascinating reading of, of Tetris. I don't think I've ever heard that before. And, and, and like I, I played the marriage uh, again in preparation um, for chatting with you, and it's still brilliant. Like the, oh, thank you. It really is. And like I mean, I, I say this because, like I mentioned this when when I, I first contacted you, that I I kind of peripherally knew about kind of art games, I guess, um, but never really kind of thought about them, and considered them. And it wasn't until I, I heard you actually, I heard you you were a guest on a, on a podcast many years ago, and you introduced like this whole other world of games and not just another world, but another way of thinking about games. And like, so your kind of reading of Tetris there, which I think is really exciting and and interesting. Like, did you have that feeling at the time, you know, like, and and how would you like, where would you go to talk about this? You know, because it's not something I've heard about much, you know, you do seem to be a real evangelist for this. Um, it, I think it brewed over time. I really do. Like it, it, it's it, these things kind of just came to a head, and some of it was, um, you know, the positive things about why am I reading it this way? And like, I don't know. It, it seems like it wasn't a, a common way of looking at what games are. And I was trying to find the center of my art form or, or our art form. And to me, the center had to be the interaction itself, right? Because what, yeah. Yeah, what do games do uniquely that other mediums don't do? And I think it's that interaction. And I, I, I think it, it came over the space of 10, 15 years, like this gradual building of like, wait a minute, like we can have an art form. And also, yeah, to be honest, I think some of it was reactionary, which is I, um, I resented more and more the demonization of games and gamers. Um, over time, and, I, and it really pissed me off. <laughs> I was, you know, I, I got so sick and tired of seeing articles about oh, Mortal Kombat and you know, what, this Grand Theft Auto horrifying games. Like, what are the what are the kids doing? You know, what somebody the think of doing? the children? Yeah, and uh, it just gets so tiresome. I'm like, you know what? Screw you guys. Like, uh, this is a medium that is uh, is worthy of respect. And the only response I could come out other than ranting at the TV screen is um, trying to make something and trying to you know, write or talk about ways to look at games that we can raise the medium a little bit. And, and by the way, I, I, I don't for a second suggest that all games should be that way. I don't want all games to be that way. I love going and shooting stuff up. I love, love gratuitous violence. Like I just think it's great. Nothing wrong with it at all. Um, but I, I, I also wanted that other part of like, okay, maybe we can, there's a, uh, oh, what's his name? Oh, oh, George Bernard Shaw wrote this lovely essay, um, about, uh, plays in the 1920s. Who's a marvelous critic. And you go through his, his critical essays. And in one case he reviews this play and he, he says, 
um, yeah, it, a, there are so many plays right now. I think of plays as a church organ, and a church organ has got these three keyboards. And the easiest keyboard to play is the lower keyboard where you get these bass notes. And then there's the medium uh, keyboard where you can put like, you know, a little bit of a melody. And then there's this top keyboard, which is the hardest one to do. And he said, to me, the best plays are ones that all three keyboards are used um, in unison. And so if you think about that with games, like, you know, there are a lot of games that do that emotional like yeah i'm shooting stuff yeah yeah, yeah. And, there's a, and there's a lot of things that do that medium thing of like oh i'm solving a puzzle like my my mind is 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 working logically uh and then there are some games that um hit that top keyboard of oh my goodness i'm, I'm going on a um uh, an emotional uh, almost yeah without wanting to be too pretentious almost spiritual journey like it's that higher level yeah of thinking and I think the you know, the aim is to, if you can get a game that hits all three notes, or uses all three levels at the same time, then you've got something special. Um, and I don't claim to have ever built one. I think that would, it's incredibly hard. I'm not sure one has been built, but I think that's the aim. Um, so that's that's the way I kind of look at it. It's just it, I, I find it really fascinating, like just the the general idea that even. Uh, that a game is a thing to be read, that uh, a thing that can be read, you know, and, and I especially love the focusing in on on the mechanics because you know th- this comes up on the show a lot where I talk to people and there's a lot of people that that go to games um, uh, f- for story, right? And and I totally get that, but it's just it's never been a thing for me. I don't I go to games because because they're games and I want I want I want stories, but I want them to be my stories that have happened through my interactions yes. with the games you know um, yes, and clearly like so. that's something that that you've been involved in because you you uh, ultimately you ended up like uh, ea kind of running the sims which i think is one of the like perfect games for for that you know where it's you 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 are playing with systems and creating stories yourself i think that's why it was so popular for a lot of people so like how yeah. did you go from this sort of relatively small company company in the uk to like you know very high up in ea um it was it was a so i that's on okay i'll give you the two second uh what version of the i mean this is the place to be long-winded if you'd like to be long-winded okay so i I went from uh i I, honestly when i when i listen to game makers talk about their career they tend to focus on the dull bits so i'm going to try and focus on the interesting (laughs) bits which are the actual games so i went from uh making uh the humans uh, uh, to working on a bunch of games at um, a company called Game Tech in Miami. That's when I emigrated. And my other game design there was called uh, Brutal Pause of Fury, which was this fighting game with um, uh, you know, anthropomorphic creatures. So we had uh, the Dalai Lama, who was a real llama. I remember had- this game as well. I had no idea you were involved yeah. in these games. I should have looked closer at your Moby list. Yeah, no, I designed that as well. That was fun. Uh, the the uh, uh, and then I worked on a bunch of. Uh, I was a producer there, uh, external producer, and I ended up kind of being number two in the department under um, uh, 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 Liz Curran and Gordon Walton, who is an industry legend, who we can talk about later. Uh, but uh, I, so I was external producer on things like uh, Air Warrior. Um, 
uh, in the US, Midwinter, which um, which was uh, this game. But I think it was Ian Bird who did Millennium, which was one of my favorite games ever. Oh, no, it was Mike Stapleton. I do beg your pardon. He did. Um, uh, oh, what's that game? Mike Stapleton, hold on a minute. I got an intimate here. What was the famous game he did? And then we did Midwinter with him. He did Mike Stapleton uh, game. Oh, come on. I want to remember. Oh, no. Midwinter. Uh, hold on a sec. Sorry. No, no, so, it's okay. Here we go. Midwinter. It was... Lords of Midnight? Uh, oh, Mike, Mike Singleton. Yes, he did uh, Lords of Midnight. And so um, we published uh, his second game, which was uh, Midwinter, which are uh, underappreciated. Do you know, yeah. th- th- you bring this up. I'd never heard of Midwinter. And I, I think maybe 15... 15 or 16 episodes ago, I spoke to uh, Margaret Robertson, who now she lives in New York. She works at Play Darts. She used to be the editor of Edge magazine. Um, And she waxed lyrical about how wonderful Midwinter was for about 10, 15 minutes. And it just sounds like the most incredible game. And I'd never heard of it. And I looked it up afterwards and it blew my mind. Yeah. Like back in the day, it was like, you know, think about like when it was built. It's stunning. um, There's a remake and a follow-up on uh, GOG, good old games, GOG.com, that uh, you can buy, which I highly recommend. They're both very, very good. Um, so, yeah, I worked, worked on that. I worked on about 120 games uh, at Game Tech. Um, and and in, in, what, really, in what role, though? Like, what, what were you doing? Just kind of a little uh, bit of everything? or Yeah, so a couple of them I, I uh, designed, um, and most of them uh, I was producer, which is like, you know, you're managing an external developer. And some of them I was external producer, which is basically tester and the guy who you, um, you know, I was the one who submitted it to manufacturing and that sort of stuff. Okay. Uh, so, 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 so I worked on a whole, bu- the whole full gamut, really. I got, uh, I've worked on just about every aspect of the gaming business and game tech was the place I really learned that. If you look at my Moby listing, that's where m- almost all of like the big bulk of, many games I worked on that. One, one of my proudest um, and happiest moments was I, uh, uh, I picked up the uh, Frontier Elite 2 disc from David Braben's house in the UK. Because for the US version, I, had to, I was visiting the Game Tech office, which we, and we published it. And so uh, I, get to, I got to go and pick it up. And I'd been testing it and sending him feedback from the US um, and the, the, again, this massive game, like Dream Come True. Like, obviously, this is such an iconic game, elite, like, get to be David Braben. And I go to his house, and the game was so big, and I'd only downloaded it by modem. And uh, I was like, hey, I'm here to pick it up. And he was super nice. And he is a real space nerd, by the way. Like, everything in his house was all <laughs> space. It was awesome. And uh, he was like, oh, yeah, you're here for the Masters. And so he goes over to this massive hard drive. I'm like, oh, here we go. Like, this is the big data. And then on top of it were two floppy disks. And he handed me a floppy disk and he was like, there you go. <laughs> and I'm like, well, this is it. He was like, yep, that's it. Source code, everything, all, all there. And he was like, oh, you probably need a backup. And he gave me another floppy disk. <laughs> and there you go, like two universes right there. <laughs> it was awesome. Oh, that's very uh, exciting. So anyway, I worked on a whole bunch of stuff um, at Game Tech. And then I moved to uh, um, uh, Virgin Interactive where um, I uh, – co-designed uh, a game called subspace which is this like internet shooter game 
which back in the day we had like 800,000 players, which in 1997 was a big deal from an internet game. Absolutely. It's, it's like little asteroid ships shooting each other. Uh, from there, I went to, um, uh, oh, we founded our own company, um, Jeff Peterson and myself, who he programmed Subspace. The guy's a genius. Um, and we made our own game called Infantry, which was uh, an online game. We were bought by Sony Online. Um, and so uh, then John Smedley, who ran Sony Online, um, he put me in charge of the EverQuest studio. So I ran EverQuest um, from 2001. Oh, no, two. 2000-ish, 2000 to 2004, maybe. And then I joined EA. Um, And it was primarily to work on the SimCity franchise, but then they put me in charge of the Sims franchise and then the whole casual division there. Um, So, yeah, that that, that was how I got to EA. (laughs) That was such... Like, there's a... I could probably do a whole interview on each little section of that, but I'm going to try and keep this tight and keep give it some momentum but like if there's any like were there any kind of particular experiences or or, or game like design challenges or, or games that that you played that kind of had had an impact on you like during that kind of run i'm sure there were loads but just if there's anything particular that, that stands out yeah i was kind of blown away by um the the way that interactive storytelling really worked in the sims like and I, I, to this day i'm stunned and at the time it blew me away i was like why don't we have any competitors like i don't understand like there's just this money to be had um and um it i think that part of the reason it was so successful is it was the only game that offered drama romance to a certain extent comedy in a procedurally generated environment and it captured all of that. It was very, it was very human. Um, and uh, and did you have an interest it, in it before before starting on it? Because you said no, they brought I you into SimCity. So were you kind of yeah. like, oh, why you put me on this? What is this? No, I absolutely hated it. I, I, you know, to my embarrassment, like at at, uh, at Sony Online, I uh, Raf Costa and I uh, we worked together there, and we talked about, by the way, art games uh, while we're at Sony Online together a lot. Uh, but I remember when The Sims came out and we were at Sony Online and I just trashed this thing. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like peeing like in the game, it's pathetic. And he was like, you are so wrong, Rod. This is a work of singular genius. And he was absolutely right. <laughs> and later on when I was in charge of the franchise, I was like, oh my God, how could I have misjudged it so utterly badly? Uh, this is a beautiful thing. And was um, it just purely like spending some time with it that you sort of started to think, oh, hang on, no, this is amazing. Yeah, I think so. I, I games capture me when you can go off the rails, and so um, the moment I was playing The Sims, I'm like, wait a minute, I can do what I want to do rather than the following. The, you know, most games, you it's the hey, you do this, you do that, um, and you're basically doing what the game tells you to do. And I have always been drawn to games where you can do your own thing, and you can experience it and make stuff within it or tell your own stories and um i think the moment that i could make myself in the sims and play an alternate uh version of me in my early 20s i was just blown away like oh my goodness like this is just amazing um and uh yeah it's it, it, it was it was stunning to me then it's stunning to me now and um i i also think that um, i'll tell you a will Wright story just because 
a worldwide store is always good. So when I uh, when I joined, I, I went to him and uh, for the first expansion where I was running the full business, um, I wanted his advice because it was up to me what the expansion was going to be. And I was like, hey, I want to make this game about um, running a business. Like you can run any business you want within The Sims. And he loved it. Um, and I was and uh, as I was talking to him, I was like, hey, just because I'm running the franchise now. Um, if you had to do it again, what would you remove from the Sims? Like what elements would you, cause you know, every designer, you know, I had assumed up to that point, like there's always things that you're like, Oh, you know, maybe that didn't work out. Yeah. I, I would do that again. And, uh, he just looked me in the eye. It was like nothing. He was like, I would add more. <laughs> and he was like more editors is always great. More stuff is always great. And he freely admitted, he's like, look, I'm a kitchen sink designer. Like, I'd never want to take away. I respect the player's intelligence that they can always handle more. And I was, and that was profound to me because at that, up until that point, I'd been a more of a minimalist designer. I was always looking to take away like extra elements. And then I have, you know, arguably the greatest designer in the world, uh, or one of at least, like, I think everybody would agree, telling me, no, I don't think that way at all. I, I always look to add. That's amazing. Uh, and I was like, okay, you know, lesson learned. That was great. I mean, and, and not to sort of um, be too crass about it, but but it was a lot was added. Like there were so oh, many yeah. expansions to The Sims, like right. more and more. Like were there any that kind of didn't make it for whatever reason or they just didn't seem to work how they were supposed to? Because, I mean... The, the the sheer volume of it is 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 staggering when you look at, when you sort of see them in a list, you know. Um, they you know they all worked in their own way. Um, there are some that I um, when I was running the franchise, I always tried to put the Sims back in um, the, the. There's always been a fantastical element in the Sims of like UFOs and werewolves and magic. Uh, and I hated that, and I always I hate it to this day because I, I I always think it's very gamery, and I think to me part of the magic of The Sims was it was a lovely a lovely game that was rooted so firmly in our common experience of modern life, and I yeah. thought it was a, a story about modern life, and so I never liked those ones that had magic in it and that sort of stuff, um, uh, and so they were less successful creatively. Uh, for me, I never liked it. I think the players loved it. So yeah, I, I absolutely respect the fact that I'm in a minority here. Um, but the only, the only one that I can think of um, that uh, didn't make it was a gag that I, I played on Will Wright once because you know, clearly he, uh, he's, he was such a game designer. He is such a game designer of great integrity. And I was like, what can I do? And he's when you meet him, he's he's always focused about the game. He's very focused on the craft. Like I've tried to gossip with him about when I was at EA. Like when you're at a company, you, there's always the opportunity for gossip about other departments, right? Like, Oh, you know, let's laugh at those. And whenever I tried to <laughs> into anything like that, he would just immediately go right back to the game. Like he would be you know, like, uh-huh. Now let's talk about game design. So it wouldn't have any of it. And then this one time I'm like, how can I just prank him into like, Watch him actually get mad. So I was like, hey, well, you know, I've got new idea, you know, open for business, it did great. I've got this new idea for a great game expansion for The Sims. I want to go and do a licensed Lord of the Rings with Hobbits, and it's a Hobbit simulator. 
And I expected his eyes to roll in the back of his head, like as he's like, what the fuck are you doing with my baby? And instead he just stared at me and I was like, uh-huh. So what's your other idea? <laughs> he didn't, didn't rise to the bite at all. And then I laughed. I was like, I was just kidding around. He's like, uh-huh. Right, let's go back to talking about <laughs> Oh, man, so that's that amazing. Uh, but it, I, I never wanted to build it anyway. It was a gag, but. Well, what I find sort of most interesting about, like, you know, you're in a very sort of senior position in one of the the biggest video game companies in the world, and at the same time, you're kind of you're really digging deep into kind of discussing art games and making your own kind of art games. Like, I guess, just where did you find the the energy or the the capacity to sort of keep up such a voracious interest when you clearly probably have a very kind of you know difficult and time-consuming job as well just be a really bad father and a bad <laughs> husband and you know it's easy no okay <laughs> got a bit too um, real I, there rod <laughs> um I, th- I think it's it's how you so actually i get this conversation a lot with a lot of my indie friends who are you know, always talking about time and like old oh, games take so long so much time to build um and i i've never really had that um I do focus pretty well, I think. Like one of the very few things I can do well is focus. And I do focus on games and it's just a matter of choice. Like, you know, every night all of us have a choice of how we're going to spend our evening. And uh, you know, we can choose to watch TV, you know, grab a beer, uh whatever, or we can choose to play games, analyze games, make games, have a beer, whatever. Um and I just I cut out tv from my life uh usually i I still watch tv occasionally but it's not a daily habit and i try to get into the habit of making stuff or playing new games uh, because i think habits kind of define your life so that's always been what i've tried to do is just make it a habit and habits stick so so where did you go then to kind of cultivate this habit like because like i said like you were one of the first people that i kind of heard talking about this stuff so where did you seek it out were you were you consciously kind of with with a specific websites or, or things that you could find out about or did you just end up meeting people through your your work at ea um i uh so uh, you had a lot of good conversations with raf costa back in the day um and I, I i think i think some of those you know if if you i don't know if he's been on your show yet uh, he's not no uh that guy will talk your ear off. I tell you that, and uh, you know, I, I love him for it. He will give you a lot of depth, uh, so well worth checking out. Um, uh, I, I'll, I'll send you a, a, an intro email if you if you care. Um, yeah, no, he's but he, great. Uh, uh, but yeah, when we were at Sony Online, we would talk about this a lot. Um, I think some of that uh, went into his theory of Thunbook, so that was helpful. And then later on, um, after I was making art games. Uh, Jason Raw showed up with a art house games website. And so I emailed him or he emailed me and we got to chatting and um, he was like, yeah, it feels pretty lonely out here, huh? And I was like, yeah, it does. So we, we kind of struck up a friendship and chatted about art games on and off over the years. And then other folks came into that orbit of, um, you know, Ian Bogost, um, and uh frank lance uh and a whole bunch of other people started to uh get interested in moving the medium forward john jonathan blow um i'm gonna miss people out now but anyway a whole bu- a whole bunch of people so it kind of 
I think we all sort of saw each other out yeah. there in the industry and were like, oh, I'm going to reach out. Um, Do you think it was it, just a matter of timing, maybe, that it's just you know, people growing with the, the medium? Because it's still like a, an incredibly young medium, like even now. It is. Yeah, I think uh, some, the spirit of the age, maybe. You know, it's, these things happen. Like there's, yeah. a, there's, a, there's a zeitgeist or something in the air, and it all just, for whatever reason, you get these circles of artists over time who just arise and then fade away this sort of stuff and i think that was that was definitely uh one of those moments where a bunch of like-minded people came at it from different angles and were like hey maybe we can do something here maybe the art form can be elevated a little bit and i, I find it extra fascinating that you were doing all this while you know working at one of the to what to many at the time would have been like the the very icon of kind of corporate video gaming so oh yeah but yeah no i was running a, a billion dollar a year business exactly at, at like it's crazy time. so but, but i I mean there has to be kind of feedback back and forth right between those two ventures like ideas cross-pollinating like did you find that yes i did actually and i mean I not think... that you're gonna sort of turn the sims into like complete no abstract or, or you know sell the marriage for a million dollars download or no. something yeah, I, I I I I always respected the line. Like I, I never wanted to be one of those um, artists who was, you know, shoving my ideas down the throats of people who just wanted to relax. Right? <laughs> I think a lot of people are like Look, just I just want to play my game and chill out. Um, but I, I I do think um, a lot of uh, what I did take from the corporate side was that period of time also happened to see a big audience change in gaming and it went from majority young men to majority women um and i think that it took it's taken a while and perhaps still is um i i'm not sure everybody's kind of got up to speed with that that the majority of gamers in the world are women and they're not playing games that most people who identify as gamers would say is gaming and i think that the sims very i, I definitely on, don't think that that issue has been settled just yet right? i think there's, yeah, there's I, even know, some I, there's some infighting i think somewhere around is about the way but i yeah I and mean, you know feel free to completely disagree with me i i, I just think in terms of the numbers from what i see so right now i oh no no i absolutely uh, i i 100 disagree with you i think uh, you being perhaps diplomatic and thinking like i'm not sure if we're there just yet i really <laughs> i think there are a lot of people who uh who don't want this to get there even if it is true you know that's funny but but i think that the um that when i saw that broadening of the audience i was like well you know logically when any art forms audience expands it expands in all directions and one of those directions is high art that sort of is looking at the world in a different way and so it did inform it you know when you see the sims at the time like oh my goodness you know we just released this expansion and made a couple of hundred million dollars and the majority of our players are women who are interested in um the uh, they want more hairstyles they want different ways to um accessorize their homes they're looking for different um different fashion they want different careers they want different um, romance options 
like that that opened my eyes to where games could go because it, it was it, it kind of well and i think everquest to a certain extent as well like it, everquest was more diverse because maybe because of the social aspect or maybe it was just one of the very few you know an mmo is one of the few areas where um it's welcoming because it, it's it's social and you 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 can you can go to this fantasy world um but seeing this shift of the audience because you know when i was growing up games were very narrow yeah and absolutely it, you know it was very like you know you're gonna get to and again, I'm not trashing it because I, I love this stuff. But it was like, you, you're going to shoot people in World War II. You're going to, you know, maybe fly a starship or shoot lasers. And you're going to go and bash people on the head with swords. Yeah. And I think, awesome. like, the media, not the media, like, I mean, the games media specifically, or, or maybe the games companies. Like, I remember growing up uh, and, you know, I, I read all the magazines. I was really into video games. And I was, I would have been uh, afraid to tell a, a girl that I, I liked video games because everything I saw and read was just like, these are just for you. These are for you, teenage boys and nobody else. Yes. And, and you, yeah. my brain just processes it like that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, no, it, and I, I, th- I think it's marvelous now that... Oh, it's amazing. That, that, that uh, our me- I, and I think that there's a... Um, it surprises me to this day how there is... Um, a resistance to celebrating our victory. Like, you know, games really are. I remember at the the end of the nineties, like people were saying, Oh, you know, games are going to be the entertainment medium of the 21st century, or, you know, they're going to be the next art form. And there was definite skepticism at the time. And I would say majority skepticism of like, yeah, that's cute. Um, I don't think so. And I don't think we celebrate enough that, it is like it really is like we you know we we made it right we're we're now played by the majority of people um in the western world like if you've got access to to technology chances are you are a gamer one way or another whether you identify as a gamer or not absolutely yeah no absolutely especially with the proliferation the proliferation of smartphones and stuff like i don't know anyone that doesn't play any sort of game which is insane when I think about it, but it's probably true. I don't think I know anyone that doesn't play any kind of game. I know, and and you know what? What is so gratifying to me is my current job is um, I'm uh, I'm GM. I run uh, the studio for uh, Jam City in San Francisco, which I'm 99% sure most of your listeners will never have heard of. Uh, and but it's a massive mobile company, and so we make games like um, uh, my studio makes games like panda pop and juice jam and family guy and there there are these uh mobile games which appeal mainly to women um and uh when i joined jam city like you know previously i joined ea or sony or any of these companies and you know a few of my you know friends would reach out and say oh yeah no cool i, I like everquest or i like SimCity or i like the sims or something like that and when i joined jam city I'm just overwhelmed with all of uh, these women and my family members who are like, oh my God, Panda Pop, that's amazing. I can't believe it. You finally made it. Like, you know, <laughs> you've hit the big time. Like, you absolutely now are somebody who, like, I understand what you do now and I respect it. And I, I think that um, it, 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 was, it was surprising to me just 
it, it underlined this notion of uh, gaming is now ubiquitous and the audience is out there. And I think many of us old school gamers don't quite see it yet. That's amazing. I'm going to I'm going to take a brief aside for some uh, relatively quick fire questions. So um, if you had to play a game with death for your own mortal soul, what game are you best at? Oh, uh, I well, I uh, I would play one of uh, the games I wrote because I'm definitely the best player at that. So probably Cults and Daggers, um, which is uh, I took a year off. Uh, was it two years ago? Um, just to because I hadn't made a game by myself for a while, so I, I made a game. I put it on Steam. And it's about um, uh, ancient uh, Greek religion and uh, religious cults. And so it's a strategy game that you play over a few centuries up until the birth of Christ, and then the game ends. Um, and uh, so Just I would a fun play little side project. <laughs> it was great. I, I had so much fun with that game. It was, it was great. But I am definitely the best player in the world of cults and daggers. And also I think playing death with a game where you're making your own religion uh would uh, would uh would be kind of cool <laughs> so there you go that's a, that's that's the game i'm best at um but on, on a similar sort of tip uh are you uh, a particularly competitive game player and have you ever been locked in any kind of uh, high score battles or prolonged feuds yes i have actually uh i was um so i play a lot of online game i used to play a lot of call of duty day of defeat that sort of stuff but i, I uh but back in the 90s um, I was external producer on a game called Air Warrior, which was this multiplayer flight sim. And um, I uh, had a free account, like you paid hourly back in the day, but I literally played it oof, every night until like 3 or 4 a.m. every day for months. Uh, and I ended up being one season number two rated in the world, and it just hooked me, like absolutely hooked me. Because it was a full real physics in this flight sim, and you could play World War II planes. Uh, it was amazing. To this day, I still think it's uh, underappreciated uh, work of genius. So that. yes, that, that that one got me. <laughs> just Hearthstone's, Hearthstone's got me recently as well. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah, I, I, that is one of my like games that like the, the way kind of games have gone in the last couple of years. There are a few games, and most of them are Blizzard games, to be honest. Where they yeah. they're just always there like they're, like i've played hearthstone probably most days for about three years which is yep, crazy to me and it's getting it similar with overwatch and and it just it doesn't get boring which absolutely blows my mind yeah um, i don't know i don't know how it's um they really work hard yeah on, on balance and user interface you know they really do oh no it's amazing um well on a similar sort of uh, tip again then like with you talking about how this game sort of consumed your life like has it has a game ever consumed your life to the point where you thought right this is a problem i'm gonna delete this from my system because i'm getting nothing done um yeah probably hostile to be honest with you like like i i do uh, and i love the game and i have so much respect for it but when I, we were talking earlier about you know habits, and um, I like my habit to be making games at night, and so I have thought a few times when I'm booting up Hearthstone uh, a night, like you know maybe I should delete this thing 
because you know do i really want to spend another three hours tonight like playing this or you know could i be doing something else so yeah maybe that's probably one okay um if you are if you are prone to such things uh, what is your worst rage quit um i worst rage quit uh probably bounty bob which was this atari 800 platformer game that i eventually beat but it was so hard and you know back in the day they didn't give a damn about balance or player satisfaction (laughs) and it was so hard and um i remember i think i nearly made it to the last level once and i missed a jump by a pixel and i died and i just like threw the controller against the wall and bust it and so my controller like clicked ever uh, i don't know if you remember the old atari controllers once they were bust they had the click because you yeah, broke yeah, the yeah. plastic inside and so uh yeah i had to play with that for a while i did eventually beat it but that was my worst rage quit <laughs> as i as i did it i was like oh this is a mistake it's a nice but piece of robust hardware that it survived it though so that's, that's yeah, good to know with a little click um uh, I think you're perhaps quite uniquely suited to answer this one, which I try and ask everyone with, you know, given the the kind of broad spectrum of emotions that, that games are potentially able to, to evoke in people. I find one of the 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 rarest is, is comedy. So yeah. uh, what games have really made you laugh, Rod? The, the one that springs to mind is uh, School Days on the Sinclair Spectrum. Uh, because you could, much like... Uh, uh, was it Laser Squad uh, by the Gullop Brothers? They went on to make XCOM. But with School Days, you could um, put in the names of whoever you wanted. So you, it was this 2D game that, uh, for those who don't know, that uh, took place in a classroom, and you would like, you know, do catapults against other kids, uh, like th- you know, put spitballs at the back of the teacher's head when he was on the chalkboard, like all of these little antics. Um, and it was a it was a great game. It was even greater when you named the other classmates after your actual <laughs> classmates. And it was just hilarious. And so me and my mates used to play that uh, together. It was great. And, and similar with XCOM, like, you know, naming your friends in an XCOM game and then watching as, like, each of them die and your friends are there and you're all laughing and, you know, smoking whatever, drinking beer. It was fun. It was I'm, I'm really surprised that School Days hasn't come up before. That's, that's amazing. Do you remember that game? I do, yeah, I do. That's a good time. That's, That's good really time. good. Um, yeah. Okay, so I, I guess, like, I wanted to talk about kind of what happened kind of post The Sims. You you went to work at Linden Labs for a while, right? Yeah, I, I became, um, I uh, so after running The Sims, it was it was a big business. Like I said, it's about a billion dollars. And I, I've always enjoyed running businesses as well. And I got the opportunity to become CEO of Linden Lab, which is Second Life. And I also like creativity platforms. Yeah. And I also wanted to, you know, Second Life isn't a game. It's a space where you can make experiences. And I was like, yeah, like if I run that company, I think I can, um, A, help Second Life, um, and just some of the learnings from The Sims. But also, you know, it's a company that, and the board were, uh, you know, agreed to this or like i think you know this company i can make some other creativity tools which will be super fun and so um we did uh blocks world which was an acquisition on the ipad we did um creativeverse which is this 2d uh creativity tool um and we also uh uh started um second life 2 
with an emphasis on BR, which was more luck than um, judgment, I can assure you. Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, I, I, I joined there. And that was a great time. I, you know, I think the Second Life community gets a really bad rap um, from people outside of it. But boy, that is one vibrant creative, creative community you know, um, that is, uh, is definitely having a good time. It's amazing because that is kind of what it is, you know. That is is a, a user generated world essentially. That the, there aren't a huge amount of verbs beyond you know creating things and expressing things. Yeah, and and it, it's 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 great. Like the um, some of the things that are built in it are just stunning. There's um, there's one, and yeah, you know, she's my favorite. I'm Facebook friends with her. She's marvelous, and she's just made this recreation of 1920s Berlin. Um, and that's what she's been doing for years. And it just gets more and more detailed and more and more historically accurate. Uh, I mean, it's just stunning uh, the where people go when they have these tools available. So, yeah, that's that's what I did that's there. That's amazing. And yeah. I, I, I wanted to ask you about this because I think you're kind of uh, one of the few guests I've spoken to that's kind of has this experience. Like, you know, you talk about The Sims and, and, and this billion – dollar pay the billion dollar kind of industry like you, it, was, you seem, it was a billion dollar a year franchise yeah you seem so laid back though you seem so <laughs> laid back and and you have this kind of um this love of, of artistic expression it's kind of the opposite of what you imagine the you know the head of a, a billion dollar a year industry would would be like you know so does that ever get to you are you just intrinsically just built like this I, I guess I get that a lot, to be honest. I, I don't know how I don't know how to answer it. Like I, I just, um, yeah, I, I really love games, and I also love running businesses at scale. Um, it's do just you feel fun. pressure. Um, yes, yeah, absolutely. I, and I think you're also only as good as your last game. Uh, I know that's kind of a cliche, but yeah. it, it, it's kind of true. And so I live in, I live in utter fear of bad releases and i've you know i've had a few <laughs> that's not <laughs> fun um and so you know this year for example at jam city we launched uh, family guy which is has been this massive success really good it, it got to number one in uh, the google play chart so that's making a ton of money as well uh and now all i'm doing is stressing about we've got a game called snoopy pop which is launching next month and i'm just like oh, i need this you know i want to make this a hit like how can i what are the extra things we can do to make the customers happy and um so yeah i don't know if that answers the question but i guess i worry a lot about it no it does it does but it, it raises another question though which is because you you clearly someone who thinks so much about kind of the the, the artistic possibilities of video games and, and yet at the same time you're you're making these games with with a with a complete mind for you know commercial success like do you approach the design of these types of games in totally different ways do you think do you think you have yes. to uh I, I i think so i think that there is um well my my answer used to be yes there's a hard line but i i think that I need to put some nuance onto that because it, one thing I would never do is I would never, um, and no company I've ever worked at, including EA, incidentally, uh, would ever do this, is I, I would never design a game specifically with a frustration mechanic designed to like gouge money out of people that yeah. was unsatisfying. You know, like that. that is, to me, that just feels bad. I also think it's bad business because I think that people are smart 
And I think that, you know, you can make a little bit of money by doing an exploitation game, but you're going to burn your customers and they're never going to forgive you. Um, and so th there's definitely a line. But yeah, I do, I, I do approach um, commercial and purely art a little bit differently, but the starting point is the same, which is you want the other person on the screen to feel good and to have a good time. Um, and you, so there are, there are certain emotions that, um, that I won't do. And, um, you know, there are certain emotions that I, I just want people to, um, to enjoy. And, um, yeah, so I, I, I it's, it, it's nuanced, but when it comes to the commercial aspect, it, it's always like, how can we, how can the player feel like when they pay us, they're feeling good about it and they're feeling they're getting really good value. Yeah. And so the experience is heightened by, you know what? I actually enjoyed uh, paying for that as opposed to, wow, that felt really cheesy. And a good example, I think, is um, I, I, I play a lot of Elite Dangerous and I love this game so much. And I have joy in my heart when I buy a new paint job for my ships in the game or a new like little nameplate because it has no impact in the game. Um, you know, I can get all of the other stuff for the price I paid for it years ago. Um, and I actually feel good about giving the developers money for um, you know, a couple of bucks for a different colored paint job because I like the game and I like the way my ship looks and I don't feel ripped off and I feel like I'm tipping the developer for yeah. doing a good job. So that kind of thing is what I aim for is people enjoy giving you money for it. You yeah. know, they're, they're not resentful. No, absolutely. And I think like that, my, I mean, a lot of people's opinions on that have changed. I think because people are, the, the creators themselves are kind of, you know, figuring this out as well and figuring out the best way of doing it. And I think now a lot of free-to-play games are are brilliant and I never feel particularly cheated. I mean, I don't play that many, but the ones I do, you know, I feel totally justified in spending whatever money I happen to spend on. Yeah, and I've never felt bad about, I don't know if you have, but I've never felt bad about buying Hearthstone cards, for example. Yeah, no, that, that's <laughs> always my example. Yeah, because I, I, I feel I can earn it playing for free and i'm like you know what blizzard you did a great job this year here have have 50 bucks exactly <laughs> exactly yeah, um well just to kind of finish up then i guess so i wanted to just talk about like your relationship with games over the last sort of you know five or six years or however long just in more recent memory do games kind of continue to kind of in inspire you and impress you in the in the same way they always have are you yes. excited about their future yes uh I think that um, I, I think in my lifetime I've been very lucky that it's all been a golden age of gaming, and I think you know people will look at various times, like say the mid mid to late nineties for PC games, for example, or like the um, the late eighties, early nineties for uh, the old eight bit and sixteen uh, um, bit games but i th i just look at the whole thing and i'm like you know it's been it's a golden age and i think that is continuing right now and i love um i love the way pc gaming is going right now i think that um platforms like uh itch and gog and steam 
uh, all of these places are giving new new creators ways to make games that I really like. And I, I've, I, it makes me laugh when I hear about, oh, there's too many games now. And it's like, no, I, I don't think so. There's not enough. Like, I, I, I want more games that explore more and more niche genres. And I, you know, I look at um, consim war games. Like, I play a lot of Hex Encounter war games. And, you know, the, for, what is it, 40-odd years, that's been an entire industry focused on trying to find new battles and wars and ways of, uh, you know, looking at these conflicts in interesting ways. And it's still getting more and more interesting. And there are still many, many more um, areas to explore that are completely wide open. And so I, um, yeah, I, I, I love modern day gaming. I think it's great. I, I get very excited every weekend. I'm like, oh, what, what's new that I can play? that's amazing and and like I, I must say that 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 idea of there's too much and stuff that that is a perennial theme on the show like in terms of the way games are now and it's something i i echo back to guests as well because i feel like i'm thrilled that there's so many games and i'm thrilled that so many people are able to make them but i'm almost not not angry is the wrong word but i worry that i'm missing out on the best game i've never played <laughs> that's right. that's my worry because there are games there are whole genres probably that I don't even know exist because it's just, and I'm someone who's, you know, I'm very interested in games. I, I keep up to date. I talk to my friends about them. I do this podcast, but even I find it hard to kind of keep track of it. Yeah. And, and it, it's, it's absolutely true. Um, but I, I celebrate that. I think, I think it's great. And you're right. There are entire genres that um, just pass me by and uh, one, you know, one day I'll, I'll get to look at them maybe, maybe in, maybe in retirement. But I, yeah. <laughs> But I, I'll also say as a, as a last thing, I do think uh, text games are due for a real genre revamp, but not text adventures. I think text management games and um, text games which have actually got very deep mechanics are hopefully a genre that will see a resurgence uh, that I want to explore. I can't even, I can't even think what that is. Well, so uh, an an example might be, do you remember the old football manager, right? When it was just text. So that's a text-based management game. Uh, There's another one um, that actually I kind of stole things from, from Cults and Daggers called Planet Miners back in the day. And it was this text-based game where you sent um, your agents around um, the solar system. Um, So text-based management is... uh, it's it's oh and um yeah Ian Bird the reason I brought up Ian Bird was he did this text based uh, space strategy game called uh, Millennium uh, back in the day followed up by Deuteros and that is an area that is um it's ripe it is ripe for doing right in this day and age because it's so it's mobile friendly it can go cross platform to uh, PC um, and I think it focuses on a different um a different way of thinking about games so that's why i'm interested in it Um, well that's i mean maybe whole genres have been passing me by this whole time and it's not a new phenomenon which is good that means there's there's more amazing things to discover yeah hopefully we maybe we can invent a few maybe we can invent a few well um that was brilliant rod thanks so much if there's um if there's anything that kind of hasn't come up that you wanted to mention or if you just want to let people know where they can find out some more about the games that you've made and stuff. Please take this opportunity. Um, I, I, uh, well, you can, you can, 
go to my website, which is tragically out of date, um, which is rodvic.com. That's where my art games are. And then, I don't know, if, if you want to look at games I've worked on, just go to Moby. And my rap sheet is right there at Moby Games. Um, I noticed you have no social media, which is, is that part of your habits? Uh, it is actually, I've got, so I, I'm, I'm on Facebook and I'll, I'll usually take friends, uh, who, who ping me on there. Um, and uh, I, I don't use Twitter anymore. I kind of got past that. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not much of a social media person just because I, uh, I like forums. So I'm on court, the quarter to three forum a lot. So if people want to chat about games, that's usually a good place to go. But I, I do find things like Twitter, um, quite distracting, um, particularly uh, just just because I get distracted and I get angry. And I, I, I get very angry very easily about politics. And so I try to avoid it because I'm like, you know what, it's not a good look when I start ranting about like what's on my mind. And I, I, I don't think people really care what a game designer thinks anyway. So I, I try to move past that and focus on my craft. I do. I think that is a very wise move, Rod. Um, <laughs> Was that was that fun for you? Was that enjoyable? Was that good? It was great. I really enjoyed it. I honestly talking about games uh, is so much fun. I uh, I feel bad I didn't talk maybe more about more modern games, and uh, I missed out like all of the uh, area. My, yeah, the other games I love is uh, war games and board games and that sort of stuff. But that's really that's a whole different. That's a whole other show. Hour of chatting about and but it's great or maybe we could do a follow-up one day right if i'm still if i'm still plugging away in a couple of years i love your show man i meant what i said like i went and looked at the archives i'm like this is so great this is awesome oh thanks so much